so this is a paper that's about the relationship between Patrick Wolfe and Zionism, or his reading of Zionism. Uh, and although I have friends on either side of me, picture Patrick behind me, makes me feel like he has my back, so I feel <laughs> about this particular arrangement. I'm in the middle of the panel. So. The Zionist project in Palestine stands out in the comparative framework Patrick Wolfe develops in Traces of History. No other settler colonial campaign was so meticulously planned and thought through, none so premeditated, none so wrapped up in so many ideological slights of hand, so many layers of psychosocial denial and contradiction, none so fraught with anxiety and guilt. Moreover, as Wolfe notes, in stark contrast to the Australian or US cases, Zionism rig rigorously refused, as it continues to refuse, any suggestion of native assimilation. Thus, he adds, uh, Zionism constitutes a more exclusive exercise of the settler logic of elimination than we encounter in the Australian and US examples. It's not just intensity or extremism that distinguishes the case of Zionism from other settler colonial enterprises, however, but also that peculiar series of subtle or not so subtle rhetorical, ideological, and psychosocial structures unique to Zionism, which are brilliantly traced by Wolf's book. One of these structures involves the sometimes grotesque ways in which Zionism parrots some of the key ideologies of European anti-Semitism. For, as Wolf shows, the early Zionists were as keen to divest themselves psychologically of the racist caricature of the European Jew, which they seem to have internalized, as they were to simply lay claim to a piece of land, clear it of its indigenous population and work it, as white settlers had already done in the Americas, in Africa, and in Australia. As Wolf shows, the, psycho the psychological element in Zionist ideology merges in interesting ways with another feature of Zionism. For Zionism is unique among settler colonial discourses in claiming not merely to be rescuing the land from a feckless, savage, and unproductive native population, but also to be returning to a land that it claimed to have owned in the mists of time. Quote, lacking the core premise of return, which furnished its transcendent linkage of Jews to Palestine, Wolf notes, Zionism would have been just another European colonial enterprise. Moreover, Zionism's bizarre conflation of the discourses of settlement with those of return has produced some of the most singular features of the settler colonial experiment in Palestine. Much of this hinges on the peculiar distinction between citizenship and nationality in the Israeli state, which underlies its obviously, well, it's obvious to some people at least, oxymoronic claim to be both Jewish and democratic. In states belonging to the Western liberal tradition, there is no such distinction. The members of the nation are also citizens of the state. Zionism is very careful to preempt such forms of inclusion in the Israeli state project, making it clear that, unlike the ultimate horizon of, say, the Australian or the American state, it has no intention of being the state of all who live there. Claiming instead to be the state of a nation, all Jews everywhere, most of whom have no intention of ever living. Wolf writes that there are no citizens of the Jewish nation, which is a typically neat formulation that also indirectly captures the obverse fact, namely that there is also, officially speaking, no such thing as an Israeli nation, according to the state and its juridical apparatuses. As the Israeli High Court ruled in 1972, a position it would reiterate in 2013, and I quote, there is no Israeli nation separate from the Jewish people. The Jewish people is composed not only of those residing in Israel, but also of diaspora Jewry, unquote. And that's the Israeli High Court. Hence, Israeli citizens are identified by the state itself as having not Israeli nationality, but rather Jewish nationality, as long, of course, as they are Jewish. 
And if they don't happen to be Jewish, well, then they're pretty much out of luck and grudgingly accorded a kind of second-class status. Thus, the Israeli state grants certain rights and privileges to Jews who are not citizens, but who are members of the nation whose state it claims to be, while withholding those same rights and privileges from Palestinians who are citizens, but are obviously not members of the putative nation. No other state in the world, to my knowledge, privileges non-citizens over citizens in this extraordinary way. It's just not what a modern nation state is supposed to do. But of course, we're not talking here about a modern nation state in the Westphalian sense. We're talking about a specifically settler colonial state, a racial state that has a nationality law, the 1950 law of return, that applies only to Jews and lacks any mechanism to grant non-Jews nationality. Wolf's reading of the situation is especially enlightening. He quotes the tortured language from the pivotal section of the law of return, and I quote, quoting him according the law. Every Jew who has sorry, every Jew who has immigrated into this country before the coming into force of this law, and every Jew who was born in this country, whether before or after the coming into force of this law, shall be deemed to be a person who has come to this country as an ole, meaning immigrant or settler, under this law. Unquote. That is, while scrupulously avoiding any mention of the indigenous Palestinian population, the law defines all Jews as settlers. As for Palestinian Muslims and Christians, or at least those who had survived the Zionist ethnic cleansing of their homeland in 1948, denied settler status, they had to scramble to adapt themselves to a shifting series of residency requirements that the new state made it as difficult uh, as possible for them to, to, to actually meet, as Shira Robinson points out in her recent book, Citizen Strangers. And I'm quoting Wolf again here. There could hardly be a clearer example of settler colonialism's replacement of natives by immigrants, Wolf points out. Under this foundational provision, the conferral of racial privilege on Palestine-born Jews was achieved by the means of the poker face contrivance of converting them into honorary immigrants. With the passage of this law, as Wolf notes, quoting Robinson's account of this moment, quoting him again, Israel would grant automatic citizenship to all Jews in the country by virtue of their immigrant status but only 63,000 Palestinian Arabs by virtue of their residence. To which we might add, he says, that the law thereby granted immigrant status to every Jew on earth. Indeed, as Wolf goes on to argue, the primary divide in the Israeli state is not between Jews and Arabs, but rather between settlers and natives. Here too, Wolf is pointing to an issue of paramount importance in the Zionist conflict with the Palestinians, thoroughly covered in his discussion of the fate of the Mizrahi Arab Jews one of the book's most telling discussions of race. For to be incorporated into the Israeli state, Arab Jews immigrating to Israel from Iraq or Yemen or other places had to be politically and ideologically purified, the act of stripping them of their Arabness being the flip side of the act of asserting their identities as Jews. This was sometimes done in violent and terrifying ways, for example, by forcibly separating the children of Arab Jewish immigrants from their parents in order to raise them separately in more purely Jewish foster families, thereby aligning them more fully with their Jewishness precisely at the expense of their Arabness. In aligning the Zahim to fellow Jews rather than to fellow Arabs, that is Palestinians, race operates in negation, Wolf argues. Mizrahi deracination is a work of race. As he shows, this is part of a whole complex of forms of identification and de-identification at work in the Israeli state admitting some in order to make sure that others continue to be denied, and stratifying the whole 
into a series of progressively more reviled social layers. Here, Ashkenazi, that is European Jews, are at the top, and Mizrahim closer to the bottom, pushing down against the Ethiopians. The latter, in turn, are eager to distinguish themselves from those slender strands of the Palestinian population, the Druze and the Bedouin, provisionally granted a certain role in the state, especially in the border police, to keep the majority of Palestinians at bay while ingratiating themselves within the racial logic of an unreconstructed colonialism. Indeed, Wolf's discussion of Mizrahi Jews opens up one of the most significant political insights in the book. Because of the fraught nature of Israeli identity, various forms of exclusion are nested one within another, like one of those Russian dolls. The ultimate distinction that we've seen is not even that between Arab and Jew, but rather, as I said, between immigrant and native. Perpetuating this ultimate distinction makes, uh, makes a whole series of other distinctions fade away by comparison. That is, the common push against the Palestinian other distinguishes, uh, sorry, obscures all other kinds of forms of opposition among Jews themselves, Mizrahim, Ashkenazim, Ethiopians, Russian Jews, so on and so forth. Without the Palestinian other, in other words, those other oppositions and contradictions would come roaring back. In fact, they're already often in play, although in a managed way. But the management would be unsustainable without the looming abstraction of the Palestinian other. This leads Wolf to an extraordinary uh, insight. And I quote him again. Israel cannot survive without its Palestinians. Without the Palestinians, which is to say when everyone is Jewish, the Mizrahim will once again become Arabs. The Russians once again become suspects. In other words, quoting him again, when everything is Jewish, difference itself becomes Jewish, a return to the, price, to the precise condition that Zionism sought to suppress in order to build a nation out of groups of people whose differences from one another were greater than their commonalities. Hence, he concludes, quoting him again, the Jewish state cannot live with the Palestinians and it cannot live without them. If this bundle of tensions and contradictions sounds like an unsustainable state of affairs, that is precisely the point. At least as long as they remain active settler projects, colonial societies are inherently unstable. As Wolf argues in the opening section of the book, regimes of race do not figure as fait accompli, as transcending history, but rather as ever incomplete projects whereby colonists repetitively seek to impose and maintain white supremacy. Settler societies may aim to eliminate and dissolve the native presence, but on the other hand, the ongoing requirement to eliminate the native or the native alternative continues to shape the colonial society that settlers construct on their expropriated land base. In this positive sense, Wolf argues, the logic of elimination marks a return whereby the native repressed continues to structure settler colonial society. This, of course, is exactly the conclusion that Wolf reaches in his discussion of the Zionist project in Palestine. The eliminationist structure renders the native necessary. With nothing to eliminate, no common other against which to align the state project, the structure would collapse. Engaging Patrick Wolf's best-known aphorism, invasion is a structure, not an event, which we've, many of us have already quoted multiple times so far, Elizabeth Strykosh and Alyssa McCoon have noted that, quote, the flip side of invasion being a structure, not an event, is that settler sovereignty is a constant performance claiming to be an essence. In the case of Zionism, the constant, often absurd, declarations and performances of permanence, for example, the mantra, Jerusalem is the undivided and eternal capital of the Jewish people, attest to the uncertain tenuousness of the underlying essentialist claims, which is to say that for all this extraordinary capacity for violence, 
think of the repeated Israeli bombardments of Gaza, there is also incredible fragility at the dark ideological heart of the settler colonial enterprise. So far as conquest remains incomplete, Wolf points out, the settler state rests, or more to the point, fails to rest, on incomplete foundations. Wolf here puts his finger on a point whose liberatory potential it is impossible to overstate. At least in the active phase of conquest and expropriation, the settler colonial state is an ideologically precarious proposition, fraught and shot through with contradictions and nervous conditions. Some settler states, like Australia or the US, may eventually develop to the point where conquest seems effectively irreversible, and they can then mature into more or less self-assured entities, even able to admit, however ungraciously, and with whatever caveats, the vanquished native populations to citizenship and, at least on paper, access to rights, even if underlying conditions remain still decidedly colonial in nature, as a visit to any American Indian reservation will make clear. But some settler colonial enterprises, and the Zionist project in Palestine is the example that stands out here, are and will remain hopelessly incomplete. And not just incomplete, but fraught with anxiety at that very state, that failure to rest on incomplete foundations. There's no greater index of the Israeli state's anxiety on this point than the spectacle of its litany of demands, or are they pleased that it be recognized uh, as Jewish, that its right to exist be affirmed, and so on and so forth, something that no other state, or at least no state more or less comfortable in its own skin, go, goes around <coughs> petulantly demanding of the rest of the world. Wolf's insight here, then, is that the real existential threat facing the Zionist state is neither the Palestinian womb nor the Israeli bomb, both frequently pointed to by Israeli politicians, but rather the state's own internal contradictions resulting from its status as a botched and incomplete settler colonial project, a seething cauldron of openly and indeed increasingly racist unsettledness. Wolf's insight in this particular question speaks to the larger insights of the book as a whole. Race is not merely a social construct, he argues. In constantly requiring reconstruction, its incompleteness becomes exposed and vulnerable to complex and versatile solidarities that refuse the strategic divisions that race would impose. Anti-racist solidarities need to conjoin as wide a range of historical relationships as colonialism itself has created. Certainly in the case of Palestine, such forms of solidarity are everywhere in view, from joint foreign and Palestinian activism throughout Palestine, to the historic alliance formed between Palestinians and black South Africans, to the more recent expressions of solidarity around what Angela Davis calls the prison industrial complex, in which despite its abysmal track record, over six decades of abject failure trying to contain and control the Palestinian people, the Israeli state astonishingly continues to play a key role, having successfully marketed itself as a purveyor of clever, tough guy tactics and weapons. Indeed, in sites of protest from Ferguson, Missouri, where African-American protesters were in touch with activists in Gaza to strategize resistance against state violence, and in particular the weapons and tactics the Ferguson police learned from their Israeli trainers, to the protests against the Dakota Access Pipeline at Standing Rock last fall, where Palestinian kafirs were always highly visible against an American Indian backdrop, we, see, we can see the extent to which Palestine and the Palestinians remain sources of inspiration for those who continue to resist the as yet incomplete depredations of the racial state everywhere. And there are many resources here for political mobilization and contestation. For as Wolf himself concludes in the final sentence of the book, the last words he so prematurely left us with, the incompleteness of racial domination is the trace and achievement of resistance, 
a space of hope. Thank you.